As we begin, wake up your ears and watch this. Hope. That's a commonly used word around here. I hope my football team wins the Super Bowl. I hope Johnny asked me to prom. I hope it snows today so I don't have to go to school. I hope I get that job. I get that raise. I pass the test. I score the winning point. I get the car. I don't have to kiss Ann Hilga at Thanksgiving. More seriously, I hope my friend gets better. I hope I do something great with my life. I hope one day there's world peace. Hope. We say it and we hear it all the time. And I don't want to trivialize it or disregard the aforementioned, but honestly, those are temporary things and they're uncertain at best. It's not that they aren't real or that they're wrong, but let's be honest. If your team doesn't win, Johnny doesn't ask you to prom. If it doesn't snow, you don't get that job or the raise or pass the test. If you don't get the car and Ann Hilga happens to smack a big wet one on you, you're going to get through it. Even if there's never world peace, all of the outcomes are uncertain. And whether they happen or not, the way you want, doesn't really change much in the grand scheme of things because it's all temporary. In the grand scheme of eternity, temporary hopes seem frivolous. See, hope in all the above scenarios is nothing more than a wish, like crossing your fingers, closing your eyes, and saying out loud, I hope I get that raise, I hope I get that raise, I hope I get that raise, is actually going to make a difference. I mean, you don't know what's actually going to happen at all, right? Yet we wish. We click our ruby heels together, we rub the rabbit's foot and avoid walking under ladders and all that, and we slowly open our eyes to see if the wish came true. Well, let me make a quick distinction. There are things we all hope for in the wishing sense, and then there are things we place our hope in. That's what we're going to talk about, the distinction between things we place our hope in and things we hope for in a sense of wishing. Which brings me to the story of a woman who was walking down the beach when she saw a bottle that was embedded in the sand. And so she reached down, picked it up, dusted it off, and poof, out comes a genie. And the genie said, I will grant you one wish. And she said, one wish? What happened to three wishes? He said, well, times are hard and we've had to cut back. One wish, she said, okay, well, you know what, genie? I've always wanted to see peace in the Middle East. So she whips out a map of the Middle East she happens to have with her and says, all these countries are fighting and I want to see peace in the Middle East. That's my wish. The genie says, come on, get real. There's no way I can grant a wish like that. Those people in the Middle East, they've been fighting for centuries. It can't be done. Come up with another wish. So she says, well, you know, I've never found the right guy. Maybe you can find the right man for me. One that's considerate, one that's fun, one that likes to cook, and he'll get along with my family. He'll also do the dishes, and he won't watch any sports on television at all. And most of all, he'll tell me how beautiful I am, and he'll mother me with affection all the time. That's what I want. I want a good man. To which the GD says, okay, let me see that map again. Sorry, guys, I just threw all of us under the bus. But seriously, sometimes things do look hopeless. Hope does seem to be in short supply these days, doesn't it? It's easy to see when you look at our country and you look at our world, our upcoming presidential election seems more like a soap opera, doesn't it, than reality? And we have Paris attacks, Brussels attacks from terrorists, and they've wounded and killed hundreds. Mass shootings seem to happen Every other week here in America, week before last, as we've been praying about, there's a tragic loss of Hunter's friend in a strange auto accident. I'm reminded of other shocking losses and deaths. Pastor Joel Hunter over at Northland, his precious granddaughter, and his son Isaac. Then there's Pastor Rick Warren out in California. His son passed a couple years ago. Closer to home, there's Bert's wife, Jean, who was Carol's mom, sort of the rock and glue of the family. And then, too, there was the sudden loss of Sandy's husband. 
And more recently still, Carol's friend Lydia lost her husband Bob. So where are we going to find hope? Well, certainly it's not in the right politician. How about technology? The right kind of diplomacy? Advances in medicine? Sure, those things can help, but there is no lasting, universal, all-encompassing hope in those kinds of things. It's been said that man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but not one second without hope. So no matter what it is you're going through right now, whatever the tragedy may be, whatever the setback may be, whatever the loss may be, God wants you to hear his message of hope for you. So let me ask you something rather sensitive. How many of you have lost a loved one in recent years? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever even lost a son or daughter? Raise your hand. Do you know someone who has recently lost a loved one? Raise your hand. Honestly, how many of you are tired of raising your hand? Raise your hand. The point is that we interact with people who are dealing with loss all the time, either us or someone else. And so let me say, when dealing with those who have lost someone significant to them or have lost something significant to them, there are certain things you shouldn't say to them. For instance, after the passage of time, don't ask someone, have things gotten back to normal for you yet? Because normal's gone. The old life you have is past. It's time for a new kind of normal. One person, in fact, who lost several family members due to an auto accident said, catastrophic loss by definition precludes recovery. Catastrophic loss will either transform you or it will destroy you, but it will never leave you the same. There's no way going back to the past because it's gone forever. There's only going into the future, which is yet to be discovered. And thus, the inevitable question that comes from a sudden tragic loss is why? Why did this happen to me? In the Old Testament, Job, who suffered unbelievable losses there, asked God that question, God, why did this happen to me? God never gave him an answer. What God did give deeper revelation of who God was in his life. Now, Job's friends, at first, they got it right, saying nothing, simply weeping with Job as he wept. But then they started to try to share their wisdom with Job, and it turned out to be anything but wise. Romans 12:15 in the New Living Translation tells us to weep with those who weep. It doesn't say we're to try to fix them. We're not to deny people their feelings during those times of loss. We're to let them know that we care, that we really, really care. Tears are to be a part of the mourning process because without them, someone in loss can lose perspective. That's because grief is a lot like taking a big fall if you're riding a really, really big wave on your surfboard. Because if you wipe out on a really big wave, the turbulence from that wave can actually hold you down underwater for quite a while. In that process, you can become so disoriented, you don't have any idea at all which way is up to the surface. And so how do you find the surface? Well, what you do is you reach for the leash that's attached to your leg and you begin pulling yourself up to your buoyant board that's on the surface. And you do that even if it goes against your instinct about which way is up or which way is down at the moment. And when we are mourning, Jesus is like the leash. 
that pulls us out of the depths of our despair to the fresh breath of God's life, filling our lungs, filling our hearts, filling our spirits, giving us an eternal perspective. Thus, as Christians, we don't mourn hopelessly, but we mourn hopefully. Now, in John's 11th chapter in the New Testament, it begins with a story of some grieving people. And this shows us how Jesus reacts in such situations and how no matter what it is you're going through, that God will be there with you. And he'll be there with you to give you the strength that you need in your hour of need. It's a story of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus who ultimately died. They were tight-knit family, yet they were hit with this unexpected tragedy. But they also happened to be very, very close friends with Jesus. Jesus spent a lot of time hanging with them at their house. And so in John's 11th chapter, verses 1 and 3 in the NIV, we read, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sister sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. And from this we see our first point. It's this. Life has sickness and sorrow, even amongst people of faith, even those really close to God and really close to Jesus. They don't get a pass, and we don't get a pass. For many of us, this is a really depressing point, but it's true, and at some time or other in your life, you have to deal with it. It doesn't seem fair to us, does it? You know, it seems like the moment we become Christians, that all of our problems should go away, right? We'd never get sick. We'd never have problems. The lights are always green as we drive. There's always a parking place up by the front when we get there. But Christians do have tragedies. Christians die early. Christians get diseases. Christians have serious accidents. And Christians get old. Like everybody else, age starts kicking in. And speaking of age, there are some telltale signs that you're getting old. You know you're getting older when someone compliments your alligator shoes and you're barefooted. You know you're getting older when your idea of weightlifting is standing up. You know you're getting older when your knees buckle and your belt won't. You know you're getting older when somebody calls at 8 p.m. at night and asks, did I wake you? You know you're old when you bend over to tie your shoes, and boy, I can relate to this. And you wonder, what else could I do when I'm down there? It's true, isn't it? I'm down here. Is there anything else I can do so I don't have to get down here again? I know somebody over 60, I heard them say that they're trying to get in shape. So they're up to 50 crunches a day. Nestle crunches. But seriously, tragedies do come, don't they? There's no way that any of us have of getting around them. And that's our first point. Life has sickness and sorrow. But our second point is this. God also deeply, deeply loves us. This tragedy comes into our life, but God most seriously, God most significantly loves us. And that's exactly how Mary and Martha appeal to Jesus. They play the love card, if you will. They say to Jesus, the one you love is sick. And the word here in the original Greek is philio, or brotherly love, meaning Lazarus, the one you love like a brother, is sick. But notice they didn't tell Jesus what to do. They believed that he knew what to do. Isn't it the best thing for us when crisis hits? Go and tell Jesus what's going on. When the Israelites criticized and turned against Moses in Exodus 15:25 in the NIV, Moses cried out to the Lord. When Hezekiah received a threatening letter from an enemy 
In Isaiah 37, 14, in the NIV, he went into the temple and he spread it out before the Lord. When John the Baptist was beheaded in Matthew 14, 12 in the NIV, John's disciples came and told Jesus, if you're facing a crisis, if you're facing hardship, if you're facing tragedy, go and tell the Lord. Psalms 46, 1 in the RSV says, God is a very present help in times of trouble. When facing tragedy, God will give you the strength you need in whatever quantity you need, whether it's minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. When great loss strikes you and you don't know how you're going to get through the day, much less the rest of your life, God is faithful. He will stand right beside you, right with you, right in you. He will sustain you. Back in John's 11th chapter, in verse 3, again we see, Martha say to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus got on the fastest of animals, you would have thought from that, and raced to where Lazarus was and laid his hand on him. And since he was Jesus, he wouldn't even need to do that. He just could have said, hey, Lazarus, be healed. And he would have been. But Jesus didn't do that. What did he do? Well, John's 11th chapter, when we get to verses 5 and 6 in the NIV, tells us Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when they had heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, you know what Mary and Martha were thinking. Jesus loves us. He won't let this happen. Yet there are times we say, if God loved me, he wouldn't let this happen. But you know, it's so hard to see through eyes that are filled with fears and are filled with tears. But here's what this all comes down to. Jesus was looking at the big picture with Mary and Martha while they were looking at a smaller picture. Honestly, what we're interested in is what makes us happy and what makes us comfortable. But God, on the other hand, is much more interested in making us spiritually stronger. For us, we're thinking here and now, God is thinking so much more into the future, from here to eternity, in the by and by, if you will. Romans 8.28 is often quoted when tragedy hits. not sure we fully understand it, but it says this in the King James Version. You know that all things work together for good for those who love God. And we'd like to think that means that God always makes bad things and turns them into good things, but that's not what the verse says. What it says, even after bad things happen, God still works things together for the good of those who love him. That means despite the bad, he can still bring good. In other words, the tragedy isn't all there is. There will be good ahead. Romans 8.28 also says this, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that purpose is that God wants to make us like Jesus because Jesus was concerned less about himself and more about others and more about God. Heaven is being prepared for us, and we are being prepared for heaven. And living through, unfortunately, some of the really tough stuff in life gets us in touch with the most important things and the most important places in our lives. Hardships we're going through today in the light of eternity will be seen in a different way when we're in heaven. Second Corinthians 4.17 in the NIV says, We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, when you and I get on the scale, what's the goal? I don't know about you, but for me, it's less weight. 
the problem is, is though, often when I get on the scale, it's a more weight than I'd like to have. But you see, on God's scales, you actually want to have more weight. That's what Daniel said to King Balshar in Daniel 15, 27 in the message. You've been weighed on the scales of God, and you don't weigh much. To paraphrase, Daniel was saying to the king, you're a spiritual lightweight. Indeed, there are folks that have little spiritual depth, who have little spiritual character, but God wants to produce in all of us a weight of spiritual glory in our lives. If we go back with Mary and Martha and their brother, Lazarus, he's died. Not only died, but he's been in the grave for a number of days. So Jesus comes into Bethany and Martha waiting there to hit him with both barrels. Martha wants to blast him and give him a piece of her mind. So we see this in the 21st verse of John's 11th chapter in the NIV. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, Martha is quite accusatory here. Martha is saying, Jesus, you blew it. You messed up. Here we are bragging on you, saying to others, you just watch. Our friend Jesus will show up. You watch what he'll do. But he didn't show up. And now my brother's dead. Have you ever felt that way? Where were you, Lord? Where were you when my marriage dissolved? Where were you when my parents divorced? Where were you when my child went astray? Where were you when my loved one died? But notice Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha for what she said. And you know why? It's not sinful to tell God how you feel. Actually, what Martha did was was a good thing. And when crisis hits, that's what we have to do. You have to go to the Lord with your problem. Lord, I don't get this. I don't understand this. Read the Psalms and you see the honesty of the psalmist David. He had his struggles. He had his doubts. I, too, have my struggles and my doubts. But I urge you to doubt your doubts and to believe your beliefs. But please don't be afraid to cry out to God. Because some people, when they enter a crisis, they withdraw from God. When some people say, I don't believe in God, and when you ask them why, they said, because he allowed this to happen in my life. When I was growing up, I had a sibling die. My parents divorced, or I had this serious crisis in my life, and I lost my faith. But you see, faith that's lost in a crisis, not real faith. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So if your faith doesn't get you through the hardships in your faith, may be like the faith of King Baljar, a little too shallow. And although it's not my favorite thing to say, but faith and hope grow in the garden of adversity and hardship. Yes, Martha brought it to Jesus, crying out to him, and he gives it back to her in eternal perspective. Afterwards, Martha takes him to the tomb. And in verses 33 and 35 of John's 11th chapter in the NIV, we see when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was also moved in the spirit and troubled, and Jesus wept. You see, that's our third point. Jesus weeps with us. He weeps with us in our times of pain. And Jesus, he experienced the pressures of life, the hardships of life. He walked in our shoes. He breathed our air. He lived our life. And then he died our death. He felt compassion 
on people who are hurting. And he feels his compassion on us, you and me. And that word trouble that appears in the scripture there could be translated as mad. And so the Lord was weeping, and now we see that the Lord was mad. What was he mad about? Was he mad that Mary and Martha, because they had doubted him? No. Was he mad at Lazarus for dying? Of course not. He was mad with death itself, which was not a part of God's original plan. Death only entered the picture in the Garden of Eden with sin. If it wasn't for sin, some have speculated that God could just take any of us anytime he wanted up to himself, as he did with Enoch, as he did with Elijah in the Old Testament at the end of their time on earth, without sin, without death, and with neither of them dying. That was God's plan A. But now death became a reality with Adam and Eve and sin. And so that's plan B, which leads us to the fourth point. Jesus helps us overcome death. So Jesus is standing outside the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come forth. So Lazarus comes out. He's alive again. Everybody's rejoicing. Somehow God does that. He raises up persons from the hospital bed. Sometimes he'll get us out of a potential accident. Other times we have to go through it. But please know he never ever lets us walk through those things alone because we have hope. What is hope? Let me spell it out for you. Think of it as an acronym. H is for holding. O is for onto. P is for patient. And E is for expectation. Holding onto patient expectation. Holding on, expecting God to do something. Something wondrous and glorious. And sometimes God takes the problem away. Sometimes God says, I'm going to walk with you through the difficulty. The fourth verse of the 23rd Psalm in the King James says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Meaning, you are with me. But here's the good news. Death is not the end for the Christian. The tomb isn't the entrance to death, but the entrance to life. When we have to deal with death, we move on. It's a massive upgrade physically when it's ourselves, our own bodies die, and we're taken to heaven. It's a massive upgrade when we here on earth have to move beyond something that feels like death to our hearts. It's a massive upgrade to our minds and spirits when we move beyond something we think is like death to our spirit. Because life beyond something we perceive as death to us will ultimately lead us to a deeper life with our Lord. Now, on the other side of that, life beyond something that we perceive as death to us can also lead us into a shallower life farther away from God. Martha's question, where were you, Lord, is a question all of us too have asked. And Jesus answers right with you, right with you on your good days, right with you on your bad days, right with you as things come to being in your life, right with you as things pass from being in your life. As Hebrews 13, 5 in the New International Version tells us, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So the question is, what are you trusting in right now? Proverbs 10, 28 in the New Living Translation says, The hopes of the godly result in happiness, but the expectations of the wicked come to nothing. Some versions translate happiness as joy and gladness. And likewise, 
translate come to nothing is die and perish. Thus the hopes of the godly result in happiness, joy, gladness. But the expectations of the wicked die, perish, and come to nothing. So put your hope, if you do put it in anything other than God, you're not going to find what you need. God has everything that you need. And he's calling out to you right now saying, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Of course, most of the calls we receive today are on what? Our cell phones. And with today's phones, when somebody calls you, their name typically appears on the screen, doesn't it? And some people, when they see you calling, they will answer your call almost every time. Charlie, our worship leader, when I call him, he almost always answers the phone when I call. Others, when I call, they probably see my name, Bill Underwood, they go, oh no, oh well, and don't answer as frequently. But then there are others who maybe call us, to put it delicately, who like to talk a really long time. Their name pops up and you think one hour. That's a one hour person. You may like that person. Then on another day, you may have an extra hour. But if you're in the middle of something really important, their name pops up. You have two options, don't you, on phones today? Accept and decline. Let me ask you, have you ever accidentally hit the accept button when you meant to hit the decline button? Awkward, oops, like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, praise the Lord. Now imagine for a moment, if you will, you get a call on your phone and the name Jesus Christ pops up. Jesus Christ, hmm, am I going to take that call? Well, you have two choices there, accept or decline. Either you're going to not be able to answer it fast enough, or you know he'll leave you a voicemail and you catch up with him later. After you've had a chance to do your own thing, work things out in your own way, deal with things logically or how your friends think you should. And doing that, it'll take you out of the time and out of the opportunity to hear his voice. So Jesus calls you back again and again, and you're trying to figure out your own way, how things should happen, and you choose to climb again and again, decline, decline, decline. You know, when I call someone four or five times and they don't answer or get back to me, I figure out they really don't want to talk to me, and so I kind of reach a point of no return with them. What am I saying? Well, you can reach a point where you put God off concerning something in your life during or after a crisis during or after a serious tragedy, during or after a huge disappointment, after a huge hurt, huge loss. And you can reach a point of no return on your end of things with God. You know, that may not be a complete point of no return with God, but it may be a point of no return in degrees. And let me say, you don't want the tragedies in your life to earn you any degrees of distance from God. You don't want that diploma hanging in your life. Whether crises, tragedies, disappointments, hurts, loss, are all reminders that we can choose degrees of distance or we can choose degrees of divineness, the divineness of God. You don't want the weight in your life to lean you away from God. You want the weight in your life to draw you closer to God. This is hope which comes in the midst of loss. And loss can open doors, can take you far, far away from God And loss can open doors, can take you far, far into the heart of God. So choose wisely which way the weight of loss causes you to sway. The song, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again, by Danny Gokey, reflects this. Listen to its words. (laughs) 
like you've never been before. The life you knew in a thousand pieces on the floor. And words fall short in times like these, but this world drives you to your knees. You think you're never gonna get back to the you they used to be. Tell your heart to beat again. Close your eyes and breathe it in. Let the shadows fall away. Step into the light of grace. Yesterday is a closing door. You don't live there anymore. Say goodbye to where you've been. And tell your heart to beat again. Over you, it's all right now. Love's healing hands have pulled you through. So get back up, take step one, leave the darkness, fear the sun. Cause your story's far from over, and your journey's just begun. Tell your God says, let your heart beat again. Breathe in in the life of grace that I have for you. Because loss can open doors that take you far, far away from me. Or loss can open doors that will take you far, far into the heart of God. So choose wisely which way the weight of loss causes you to sway. Psalm 147 verses 1, 3, and 11 in the NIV echoes this. It tells us to praise the Lord. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And he delights in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. So do just that. Put your hope in his unfailing love. 
Will you pray with me? Great God, we discovered together that all of us have great losses in our lives. Some are fresh, some are not so fresh until we think about them again. But we know, Father, that you are there with us. We know, Father, that you love us. We know that you stand with us. And we know that you have a peace for us that's beyond all understanding. And help us to continue to keep looking at you. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would touch every person here in their place of deepest need. And we thank you for that touch. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.